It's so good to be here. I want to welcome all of you who are joining us. Very, very grateful for it. If you're online, you know we've got love for you. We can't see your faces, but we've got love for you. Go ahead and write in the chat. Let us know that you're there. If you're outside, um, I'm, I'm glad we've got a tent up because it's a little warm, but you were making it happen anyways, and so we're glad about that. And if you're in the house this morning, we're glad that you came back. We're glad that you're part of the conversation. My name is Daniel. I'm part of the team here at Eden Church, and we are all about helping people take a next step with Jesus. And I'm so pumped today because we are launching a brand new series. And if you are new to the conversation this morning, that may not make sense. Uh, but here at Eden, we do these things called series. And for us, it's just a collection of talks that we spread out over several weeks. And we focus on a theme, a topic, or a passage from scripture, and we apply it to our everyday lives. And the application process is really the most important part because that is what builds our faith. It is the only way, in my opinion, that we really value Scripture because until we apply it to our life, it is just a really interesting idea. But it's when we apply it that we begin to see the power of it. And so, uh, so that's a big part of what we do. Today, we are launching a series called Future Church. Future Church, last series... We made a case for why it was going to be important for us to have faith as we stepped into the future, but this series is all about making sense of what we think that future is going to be like. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but I've noticed this in a lot of conversations that I've had lately. I have heard more people speculating about the future of our world than at any time I've ever heard before. People are speculating, and the reason why is because our world is in this very uh, mysterious place, probably the most uh, uncertain season in our generation. And so there are a lot of people asking questions like, what is the future of business, right? How long are we going to get to work from home? Is it permanent? Should we move to a cheaper part of the country? All right, don't lie. I know that every single one of us has been on Zillow at some point in the last month. We're asking questions about the future of education, right? Will our kids learn from home? Is that as effective as being in person in a classroom? There are many of us who have been asking questions about the future of dating. If I had a dollar for every person that I know started dating online during the pandemic, I'd have about $7, okay? Not a lot, but it's a thing. Or the future of healthcare, or the future of fitness. And there are some of us that know Working out from home ain't going to work. We're too close to the refrigerator, okay? It ain't going to work. It ain't going to work. So I'm just going to call that. But over the last 12 months, all of us have been asking a lot of questions, and I've been asking, our team has been asking a lot of questions about the church. How do we navigate all the challenges ahead? How do we build community in a culture like the one that we're living in, in a generation like the one that we're in? How do we continue to fulfill the vision of the church? And I think maybe the most important question that I've been asking is, what must be true about the church for it to be effective into the future? And I've realized that I'm not the only one asking this question. A lot of people have been trying to answer it. People are saying the answer is a smaller church. Other people are saying the answer is a simple church. Some people are creating these new categories for church called microchurch or home church or digital church. There are even things like YouTube church, and this is the most ridiculous one. All right, TikTok church? I don't think so. All right, there are some of you who came up in church where there ain't no dancing allowed in church. Okay, so that ain't going to work. But most of the conversation 
has been centered around how the church of the future will need to look, how it will need to operate, how it's going to function. But the more that you engage in these conversations and the more that I've tried to process what is the future for our church, I feel like the future is less about the how of the church and more about the heart of the church. And I don't know about you, but the older I get and the more white hairs that fill my head, I feel less concerned about effectiveness and more concerned about faithfulness in the church. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to talk less about what we need to do and more about who we become, more about who we become, less about, and I didn't say we're not talking at all about what we need to do. I just said we're going to talk less about it, okay, because there's stuff that we can do. So would you join me in prayer as we get started? Father, we thank you so much for this church and this community Father, we ask you for wisdom and for your leading as we continue on the journey of faithfulness and obedience as a community following the way of Jesus. Lord, we come to this place every week with anticipation, believing that there is someone here that you are stepping into their story for the first time. There is someone here who is coming back again to the story of faith. And there are others, God, that you are you are moving in such a way that you're asking them to take steps of faith that perhaps they've never been asked to take before. You're leading them. And so, God, we leave that all into your hands, and we ask that in this moment, no matter how we walk through these doors, whatever burdens we came in here with, God, if we could just set them aside and just focus on you for the next 30 minutes, God, we ask that you would speak to our lives and that you would lead us into a greater level of faithfulness in this next season. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I would not recommend this, uh, but when my wife and I first started dating, I got a job at her dad's business. You know, big mistake, okay? Let me just tell you. It was strategic on his part, foolish on my part. Foolish on my part. Because what I didn't realize would happen is that I was going to expose things about myself that I was not prepared to do at that time. And on one occasion, my father-in-law was working under a big truck, and some oil started pouring out. And so he yells to me. He's in the yard. I'm close to him, but not too close where he could just speak. So he yells out. He says, Daniel, grab me a pipe wrench. And I noticed that there was a certain level of intensity in his voice, and I was about 100 yards from the garage. And so trying to impress my soon-to-be father-in-law, I ran. I was in a dead sprint, and I was looking for a pipe wrench. But this was the problem that I realized when I landed in front of a pile of tools is that I didn't know what a pipe wrench looked like. And so I'm looking at a wide variety of tools that, I don't, that are completely unfamiliar to me, and I grabbed the thing that seemed to fit the best description of a pipe wrench. So it was a pipe with like a little fixing at the end of it. And I run back in a hurry back to my father-in-law. I hand it to him, and he pulls his head out from underneath the vehicle, and he looks at the tool, and then he looks at me, and there was a little bit of confusion and then just a hint of frustration, and I appreciate what my father-in-law did next because he assumed the best of me. He said, Daniel, I didn't say this thing. He said, I said a pipe wrench, and, uh, and I really appreciated that, <laughs> but what I realized is that all of my good intentions, as hard as I was willing to work, as eager as I was to try to figure out what a pipe wrench was, which, by the way, I know what it is now, okay? So shame on all of you people who were judging me in your mind. I know what it is now. But as hard as I worked, it didn't make a difference if I didn't know what I was looking for. 
And I wonder how many of you have ever been in a season of life where you were doing stuff, but you just didn't know what you were looking for. You were dating people, but you didn't know what you were looking for. You were applying for different jobs, but you didn't really know what you were looking for. You were moving around to different cities and different parts of the city, but the reality was you really didn't know what you were looking for. You're trying to find something to eat after church on a Sunday, but you didn't know what you were looking for. <laughs> it's possible, right, in life for us to give a lot of energy and a lot of time and to have the right attitude and to work hard and yet never experience what we were meant to experience if we don't know what we're aiming for. And I think that that is true when it comes to the church. We can spend a lot of time doing a lot of stuff, uh, offering a lot of different programs, working our hands to the bone, and still never fulfill what the church was meant to fulfill if we don't know what we are aiming for. And so what I have realized is that this church has been such a blessing. This whole journey has been a blessing. But I don't want to get to the end of this journey asking myself, what were we even aiming for? And so this morning, we're going to get clear about the future by looking to the past. And so this morning, we're going to be in the New Testament, which is the second half of the Bible. It talks about the life of Jesus and the development of the early church. And we're going to be looking in the book of Acts, which was written by a historian named Luke. And Acts, if you are, have ever kind of dug into the Bible before, uh, is sort of a sequel to one of the biographies of life, he, uh, of Jesus' life that Luke wrote. We also refer to it as the Gospel of Luke. And uh, the biography talks about Jesus' life and ministry, uh, but the book of Acts talks about the movement that was birthed out of the people who followed Jesus during his ministry. And so we're going to pick up the origin story of the church in the first few verses of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, and we'll read uh, verses 1 through 3. It says, In my first book I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach. Until today that he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. And so right off the bat, Luke is referring to his account, his account of Jesus' life recorded in the Gospel of Luke. And then he explains that there was this 40-day period between when Jesus was resurrected and the moment that he ascended into heaven. And it says that during that time, he appeared to his apostles. And we read in some of the other texts that Jesus actually appeared to hundreds of people. And the point of Jesus appearing and engaging with some of his followers was so that he could remind him uh, of what he said he was going to do. It was to prove to them that he was alive and that he fulfilled every promise that he made. But at the same time, Jesus was also taking this as an opportunity to begin casting vision. Because when he died, there was a lot of confusion. His leaders abandoned him. They questioned him. Some even admitted that they really never believed. And as much as Jesus, during his ministry, explained to them what was going to happen, when it finally happened, they were confused. And I think that that has maybe happened to all of us if you've moved to the Bay Area from outside of the area you knew it was going to be expensive. But when you started writing that check every month for the place that you live, you were confused, right? You probably said, why is it so expensive to live in such a small place in a small apartment? It's crazy how sometimes we can expect something to be true and still be confused by it 
in the moment. Well, that's what was happening with the apostles and some of Jesus' disciples. Jesus told them that he was going to have to suffer and die, but when it happened, it confused them. And so Jesus appeared to them, and he wanted to help them understand what the future of ministry was going to require of them. Not for them to be effective, but so that they could be faithful. And so Jesus was telling them what to aim for. And he started talking about the kingdom of God, which was Jesus' main message. Jesus would go around and saying that the kingdom of God was here, meaning that Jesus was the promised king from the prophecy in the Old Testament made by the prophet Isaiah. He said he would be here to bring good news and to restore the kingdom. He was the Messiah. And so then Jesus in verse 4 gives them some instructions. He says, once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift that he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is casting vision, and then he starts giving instructions. He says, don't leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And it seems like the apostles who seem to have had like this entrepreneurial spirit, they felt like they were probably ready to start engaging in ministry, but Jesus wanted them to wait. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but isn't it hard to wait on something that you think you're ready for, but God says you're not? You pray looking for an answer from God, but you don't hear anything. And what I've learned over time, and maybe you've learned this too, is that the silence isn't a sign that God is saying no. It may just be that God is saying wait. God is saying wait on the job. Wait on the right opportunity. Wait for the right relationship. Wait for the right friendship. Wait on the house. Wait on the car. And what you may have also learned is that whenever God asks you to wait, it is usually for a good reason. And so he told the apostles to wait for the Holy Spirit because they needed his power to fulfill what God was asking them to do. And then in this conversation, they asked a question that shows that they still don't understand what's going on. Verse 6, it says, So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and to restore our kingdom? Are you going to free Israel restore our kingdom? They were still thinking that the prophecy about Jesus was going to restore a government uh, kingdom, a dominant political kingdom. But what Jesus actually came to do was not to restore a, a, a physical kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom. And this was his reply in verse 7. He said, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, but they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Basically, what Jesus was saying is don't worry about something that is above your pay grade. Okay? He put him in his place. He was saying don't get distracted by the things that don't matter to your mission. And sometimes... I can be a little bit critical when I'm reading scripture. I don't know if you guys have ever had that experience, but sometimes I look at the apostles and the disciples and I think, how did they not understand at this point in their relationship, they had access to Jesus. How did they not understand what they were meant to do? How was it so easy for them to get distracted off of what Jesus had set them up to do? But then 
I have a mirror every morning. And it is so easy for me to look at my own life and see all the things that get in the way of my faith. It's so easy for me to get distracted by things that have nothing to do with the hopes and dreams that I have for my life. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, right? Anyone spend more time on their phone than they would like to admit? Anyone on social media more often than they would like to admit? Anyone get caught in a good Netflix show more often than they would like to admit? Anyone get caught on a YouTube sinkhole more often, right? But Jesus, I think like any great leader, had compassion on them. And he tells them what to aim for. He says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're going to be a witness about me. And you're going to tell people about me everywhere. And I think that for the church, this is some really helpful perspective. And we are going to talk a lot about the details that we just read because we'll revisit this passage later in the series. But what I want to point out about this passage is that Jesus right now is laying the building blocks to what would become the church. And what I think is really interesting is that he doesn't tell any of these people to get back into the temples. He doesn't tell any of them to start finding a building for them to meet at. He doesn't say anything about returning to some of the religious establishment or the programs or the systems or the training. All he says is that my spirit will empower you to tell others what I have done for you and what I will do for them. And it may not seem like this at first glance, but Jesus is making this really pivotal shift in how these people understood and practiced their faith because everything they did previously revolved around the temple. The temple is where the presence of God dwelled, but now Jesus is saying that the spirit of God is going to dwell in you. And so Jesus, right here in this moment, is casting vision for a whole new type of faith experience. Jesus was saying, I don't want you to go to church. You are the church. The church isn't a building. The church is a group of people who live their lives as witnesses to what God has done for them and to them and in them. And what is so interesting as we process some of what Jesus is casting vision for is to think about the type of culture that we live in. It may be even helpful for us to ask ourselves the question, what do we think of when we think about church? Because we think of a, cult, a church, we live in a culture where so much of our faith experience has been institutionalized. Meaning that it's been experienced in the confines of a program or a system or a training or a conference or a location. And let me just say that none of that is bad. We do all of that here at Eden. It is helpful and effective. But if that is the existence of someone else's faith, we have to recognize that it has its limitations. One of the limitations is that it's a mindset of thinking that spiritual activity only happens at church. That spiritual formation only takes place within the campus of this community with pastors and church leaders. But the reality is that 99% of our journey of faith will, live, will be lived outside the walls of this church. And I love, I love this new vision that Jesus is casting. Because he's not telling them to, to shoot or to aim for regular church attendance. 
But he was unleashing these people into the world. And what's crazy, crazy to me, is that he believed that this tiny band of uneducated, socially ostracized leaders could take this message to the ends of the earth and actually be effective. But he was right. Because history tells us that this small group of people turned this world upside down. But it would have never happened if there wasn't a shift in the mindset. Because what they would have naturally done have, is gone back to all the same rituals and all the same practices and all the same rhythms from the environment that they had grown up in. But the only way for them to fulfill what God created them to do was to stop going to church and start becoming the church. Now listen, keep coming to church, okay? That's not what I'm saying. From Jesus' perspective, that was going to be the foundation of the future church. Is when people stopped thinking that we had to go to a temple or go to certain people to carry the message that would transform people's lives. He was saying that the Holy Spirit was going to empower you. And I believe that the only way that the church can be faithful into the future is when we as a community move from the mentality of going to church and we embrace the reality that we are the church. That if we have been changed by Jesus, then God has told us what to aim for in this life. And when we step into that reality, Jesus says that this church becomes an unstoppable force in the culture. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. It says, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. I love this big vision that Jesus has for the church and the community of the future. And I really believe that for this community as we are entering into a season in our culture where there is just so much uncertainty. Like we have very little certainty about what restrictions are going to look like in the next few months and what school is going to look like and what work is going to look like and what certain relationships are going to look like and what our job is going to look like. So much uncertainty. And I believe that it's in those moments where the church has the greatest opportunity to infuse culture with hope, to overwhelm people with the love of God. But I think our faithfulness as a community will have to shift into the next gear. And it only happens if we become a church where our faith is flowing into our entire lives, not just what happens here on a Sunday morning. It is a shift in perspective. It is a shift in how we see ourselves. Because that is really the only type of effective faith. And honestly, it's the only type of faith that God ever envisioned for his people. And part of why so many of us in our culture who identify as followers of Jesus feel like we're living fragmented lives is because so much of our faith is categorized and labeled just for the weekend. But God knew the type of faith that was going to change the world was the type of faith that encompassed every part of our life. It encompassed our thinking. It encompassed our words. 
It encompasses how we see people, how we treat people, how we relate to people who think differently than we do. It impacts everything. And this is the truth, that for everyone who identifies himself as a follower of Jesus, God has given us a path forward. But the question for us is what are we looking for? What are you aiming for in this life? Because I think the scariest thing to me is to think that we would get to the end of our lives and we would never have figured out the answer to that question. That we would be laying in bed still asking, what am I here for? But the beauty of the God that we serve from Scripture tells us that He has given us a path forward. And what I love about Scripture is that it always reminds us in nearly every part of Scripture that God has been searching us out from the beginning. Scripture says that we love Him because He first loved us. And that means that there are some of us in this room, those of you who are tuning online or outside right here, right now in this moment, that you have shown up in this place not by accident. It is not an accident that for whatever reason you saw that ad or that you got that mailer in your mailbox or that post that your friend posted on social media finally landed on your newsfeed. You are here because God wanted to remind you of how much he loves you and cares for you and he has a plan for your life. But the difference between people who get to the end of their lives and they feel proud and grateful for the time and the energy and the things that they poured their life into and the people who are still asking, what am I here for? Is whether or not we receive the path forward from God. It's whether or not we choose to step into God's lane for our life and step out of the lane that we have created for ourselves, And that for every single one of us is always a step of faith. And there are probably some people in the room, those of you online or outside that are watching right now, that have never made that decision to say, God, I have tried to do life my way and it's not working out. And God, right now, I'm open to surrendering my will and receiving what you have for me. Because I believe that you can do for me what I can't do for myself. And I believe that you love me enough to send your son on the cross to die for my sins because I could not bear the weight only he could. And if that's you this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to step into faith for the first time. No matter where you're at, if you're tuning online or outside or in the room, we're going to ask everyone in just a moment to bow their heads and close their eyes. And I want to lead you in a prayer that you can pray in your heart after me to step into faith for the first time and to receive what God has for you. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And if that's where you're at, go ahead and pray and repeat after me in your heart. Dear God, I want to thank you for loving me even when I didn't love myself. I want to thank you for being, bringing me into this place to remind me of your love. 
And I have tried to find significance. And I can't. I'm constantly wrestling in my heart and in my mind asking, why am I here? And what am I supposed to do? Today, I believe that you love me. And I want to receive that love and follow you for the rest of my life. I want to submit my heart to you and trust that you can do more with my life than I can. I pray all this in Jesus' name. I believe. I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And this morning, if you prayed that prayer in your heart, would you quickly just raise your hand up so that we can know what God is doing in this place? I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. Any others? If you're online, go ahead and write amen in the chat. Father, we thank you for every single life that you are moving in, every heart that you are shaping, every mind that you are conforming to your image, every heart that you are healing in this place. God, we thank you for that. And God, we just ask that you would help us to be a community that doesn't just go to church, but we are the church. We are the church for people who don't have a church. We are the church for the people who, in our, who are in our offices that are struggling in life. We are the church for the families on our baseball team whose marriage is under attack. We are the church for the people in our neighborhood who are trying to make sense of life. God, would you help us to stop going to church and to be the church? Father, we thank you for what you're doing in this place. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.